Well, in the summer of 2000, I had the opportunity to spend 10 weeks in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire on a summer mission trip. That summer I was stretched in so many ways as I shared my faith every day and I grew in Bible study and discipleship. God also brought a mentor into my life that summer named Jim Rhodes. Toward the end of this summer, Jim pulled me aside and he pointed out the strengths that he saw in me. And he challenged me to consider going into full-time ministry. Never in a million years had I ever considered going into full-time ministry. But Jim saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. Countless people have been deeply impacted by Jim. Because he is one of those people that just believes in you. He's one of those people that sees something special in you and patiently draws it out. Over the last two decades, Jim has become like a spiritual father to my wife and I. I can honestly say that I would not be in ministry today if it was not for the influence of Jim Rhodes. About three weeks ago, I got a message from Jim's wife that things weren't looking good. You see, for the better part of 10 years, Jim has been battling cancer on and off. She told us that Jim only has days to live. And it hit me like a freight train. This mentor, this spiritual father in my life is about to die. I can't shake the thought that maybe what I feel right now to a small degree is what Timothy might have felt as he was reading the letter that Paul sent to him that we're going to look at tonight. You see, everything in 2 Timothy comes to this point. Paul has encouraged Timothy to suffer with him in his ministry. He's encouraged him to stay true to the word of God despite what the world throws at him. And the words in our passage tonight were some of the last words that Paul may have shared with Timothy before he approached his execution in prison. So these words are honestly just dripping with importance. So with that in mind, let me pray, and then we'll dive into our passage. God and Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity to dive into 2 Timothy once again. I thank you, Lord, that you have ordained this moment, that you have called us all to be here, and Lord, I pray that my words will be yours. I pray that you will soften our hearts to hear the message that you need us to hear tonight. In your name, amen. So if you want to open up your packets to page 24, we'll start reading in, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded, 
endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now these words must have been incredibly challenging for Timothy to hear. His beloved mentor, his spiritual father is about to die. The immovable Paul, the unshakable mouthpiece of God who was imprisoned and couldn't be stopped, who was beaten countless times and left for dead and he just got back up and kept preaching the word. This hero of the faith is giving his ministry to you. I can't imagine what Timothy was feeling, but to help us understand this final charge to Timothy, I'd like to break up our passage into four points, which you can find on your outline. A solemn charge, an itching audience, a ministry calling, and an immeasurable reward. And the main point that I believe Paul is trying to get at in this chapter for us to understand is that we are called to preach the word of God even though we face resistance because the reward of eternal life is worth the cost. Let's start off with the first point of your outline, a solemn charge. Right off the bat, Paul picks up where he left off in chapter 3. Verse 16, when he tells Timothy the source of his preaching, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And because of that truth, Timothy, I charge you to preach the word. The word that Paul uses here literally means to insist. Timothy, I insist that you preach the word. And to further emphasize this urgency that Paul is trying to express, look also in verse one where he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. He tells them the witnesses. Paul continues in verse two about how to use the word of God. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching." Now, there are three things I want us to interpret here. Number one, don't take it lightly. Don't take this charge lightly, Timothy. Paul is writing this charge to Timothy toward the end of his life. Look at verse six. The time of my departure has come. Paul is very carefully choosing his words. Notice in verse one, Paul emphasizes the charge by pointing out that God the Father and Christ Jesus are witnessing this. And just in case Timothy misses that significance of who's witnessing it, he points out that Jesus is the one who's going to judge how he picks up this ministry, how he continues this ministry. Jesus, the one who will judge the living and the dead. This charge is not to be taken lightly. Number two, preach the word. You'll notice on your outline that 
the is in all caps. And that's because Paul is not saying that it has to be Timothy's perfectly crafted words to share. No. He's saying that Timothy needs to faithfully preach the word of God found in the Holy Scriptures. The primary command in verse one is to preach. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word preach, I think of a pastor at a church on a Sunday morning. There's a lot of words that Paul could have used for Timothy to get the message that he is called to preach. But he chooses this word here. This word here actually means to herald. To herald. There's a lot of words that he could have used, but he used herald. You see, in the ancient world, a herald was somebody who went into public squares and proclaimed the news of the day. Heralds were not philosophers. They weren't great teachers. They just proclaimed what already happened. Like a herald proclaiming the news of the day, the essence of Christian preaching is telling people what has already been done. Not what people have to do to save themselves, but what Jesus has already done on the cross to save them. Not our opinion of how to live a godly life, but what God has already revealed in the word of God. The core of our message must be the word of God. And how it teaches us to live a godly life, to turn away from our sins and to embrace the work of Jesus on the cross. As Ben so eloquently put it on Tuesday, as you minister to others, make sure your Bible is open and your words are kind. Preach the word. Finally, we see how Paul, or how Timothy is to preach the word. Look in verse two. Paul gives four commands to help Timothy know what to do. Be ready, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Does this sound familiar at all? 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. He's emphasizing these commands. So let's dive into these commands. The first, be ready. In verse two, Paul tells Timothy to be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Think of it this way. If you are a farmer and you wake up one morning in January, in the middle of winter, and this, you finally, you, you discover that the spring started freakishly early, you would not be ready to plant because it's out of season. Paul is telling Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. Whether you feel like it or not, whether people are hungry and listening or hostile and angry, be ready. Next he says, reprove. That word can actually be translated as to convict. In other words, after you kindly point people to the word of God, they say, wow, I need to change my life. 
not because you debate theology with them. Remember, chapter 1, verse 24, avoid quarrels. We will never argue anyone into the kingdom of God. We must seek to understand the heart of the people that we are sharing with so we can know where the word of God speaks to them and we can kindly point them to it. Remember, God moves in the hearts of men, not us. Next, Paul says rebuke. Do you realize that it is actually loving to speak the truth of God's word and warn people about the destruction of their sinful behavior. It's actually loving to do that. Proverbs 27 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What's not loving is looking someone in the eye when God says they are in jeopardy of spending an eternity in hell and saying nothing because we're afraid it might be awkward. That's not loving. Point people to the word of God and lovingly rebuke them, lovingly warn them of the consequences of their sins. Next he says, exhort to plead with people, to encourage them. We must passionately show people what the word of God teaches us about their eternal destination. I love the story in John chapter six. Jesus had just taught this very difficult message that a lot of people did not like. A lot of people didn't understand. So countless people just left. They stopped following Jesus. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you gonna leave too? And I love how Peter responds. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, who else would we turn to? You have the words of eternal life. The word of God has the ability to alter somebody's eternal destination. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Notice that Paul tells Timothy in verse two to do all these things with patience. In other words, you might wanna give up you will be disheartened. You might want to quit, but be patient. Endure as people reject you or walk away or you don't see the fruit that you thought was going to happen. Now that we've taken a look at this solemn charge to preach the word, let's see how people respond. Second point in your outline, an itching audience. I want you to notice that Paul gives his reason for this charge to Timothy in verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endorse sound teaching. Instead, people are actually gonna listen to teachers. They're gonna gather up teachers that tell them what their itching ears wanna hear. And then verse four shows the result. They turn away from truth and wander off into myths. Here's what this means. The word of God will be resisted. It's going to be resisted. If Jesus experienced resistance, 
When he preached the words of life, we can expect the same thing to happen to us. When Timothy was ministering in Ephesus, a lot of people were leaving the church to go listen to teachers who weren't calling out their sin, teachers who were scratching their itching ears. And if you're Timothy, it would have been tempting to change the message, to soften it up a little bit so people wouldn't leave. Today, some preachers fill sports arenas by telling people about the keys to wealth, possessions, and happiness. They are setting aside the word of God and giving motivational speeches and self-help sermons. At best, they've reduced the Bible to sound bites taken out of context. Paul says that those who listen to these teachers have itching ears. Like you ever had that time where you have like a scratch in the middle of your back and you can't quite get it, so you're like looking for a corner in the house to like scratch your back, you know? Like our flesh just itches for more stuff, more money, less difficulty. We want more blessings in life. We have these itching ears just to hear those things. But the worst thing is that these people who listen to these teachers, they're listening to these lies as if it's the word of God. When they don't see it for the poison that it really is. I once saw this movie where there was these sailors who were shipwrecked. And they were in this really small lifeboat on the ocean. Days go by, the sun's beating down on them. And their, their rations run out, they, they run out of water. And one night when the other, uh, other um, guys are sleeping, the one guy just kind of like reaches over the side of the boat and just starts drinking all this salt water. What a lot of people don't realize is that salt water contains seven times the amount of salt that the human body could actually ingest safely. Needless to say, this guy died shortly thereafter. The sad thing is, is that the more salt water you drink, the thirstier you become. Going after teachers that suit our passions is like drinking salt water. Never satisfies, and it just speeds up our death. The Bible teaches that it is not about your gain. It's not about your comfort. It's not about getting a bigger house, a bigger bank account, and more blessings. Jesus gave us an example to follow. Jesus, who, who literally deserved praise and honor and glory and possessions and wealth. He deserved all of that. But he said that he came to this earth not to be served, but to be a servant of all. We are called to follow Jesus and take up our cross. And that is not a fun thing to do. That's a hard thing to live out. That's not what our itching ears want to hear. People don't like hearing that Jesus is the only way. People don't like hearing they have to take up their cross. They want to be the God of their own life. And what they end up doing is they wander off into myths. Look at verse four. Isn't it interesting that Paul says that they wander 
Now, I don't know about you guys, I like to hike. But when I hear wander, I kind of think about just kind of like meandering like this way and that. You're kind of like, like wandering aimlessly and everything. But the silly thing about wandering is you never end up where you want to go and you waste a lot of time. That's how Paul describes these people. They're wandering off into myths. They're wasting their time and they are worse off than before. You'll notice the quote on the top of your page by the pastor, Leonard Ravenhill. He says, we live in a day of itching ears, but I have no commission from God to scratch them. Paul is telling Timothy, preach the word to an itching audience. Let's now take a look at this ministry calling from Paul, the third point in your outline. I want you to notice in verse five that Paul is contrasting these people who have itching ears with Timothy when he says, as for you. In other words, Timothy, all these people that I just described, you're not gonna be like that. As for you, Timothy, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Then in verse six and seven, we see the example of Paul who lived out this calling. He poured out his life as an offering to the Lord. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. When we look at these challenges, it's almost like Paul is saying to Timothy, now it's your turn to fulfill the ministry. See, the natural progression that we go through as disciples is to be sent out to preach the word and make more disciples as we preach the word. Notice the word for in verse six. Paul literally gives Timothy the reason for his charge to preach the word. For the time of my departure has come. He is about to die and Timothy must continue this ministry of preaching the word so people who don't follow the Lord Jesus have the opportunity to hear about salvation through Christ. As Mark made abundantly clear on Sunday and Zach on Monday and what every single one of us up here have been telling you is that the reality is that in just a few short years, this ministry can be lost if we don't entrust it to people who will do the same. And because of that reality, Timothy, here's my commands to you. Number one, be sober-minded. That word literally translates as to keep your head. Have you ever tried talk, talking to somebody who's drunk? It's ridiculous. It's like they're, they're babbling, it's incoherent. They never remember any of what they say afterwards. It's a waste of time. Being sober-minded means you have clear thoughts, one aim, one focus. Talk about the opposite of what Mike was pointing out to us the other day in chapter three. 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, etc., etc., etc. These people were not being sober-minded. They were drunk on themselves. Timothy must be locked into the mission like a soldier, like chapter two, a soldier whose aim is to please the one who enlisted him. It's gonna be a battle, Timothy, but keep your head. Next, number two, he says, endure suffering. Paul has already invited Timothy in chapter one to share in suffering for the gospel. And then in chapter two, he said, share in suffering as a good soldier. And here, he challenges Timothy to endure suffering. You see, suffering is going to be inevitable because people will not like the message that you share. The words of eternal life in this book demand that people turn away from their sin and people don't want to hear that. They will reject it. They will persecute. Raise your hand if you like to be rejected. Don't think I see anybody here. Nobody likes to be rejected. We can all acknowledge that. But the bottom line here is that Paul is saying, endure rejection, endure persecution, endure suffering. Because we know what Jesus endured for us on the cross. Anything that we go through for preaching the word is going to be much less suffering than what Jesus did on the cross for us. If you remember in chapter two, Paul said that he endures everything for the sake of those who will come to know Jesus so they can obtain salvation. Not only that, but he told Timothy that we endure by remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. If death could not stop Jesus, then nothing can. Jesus is king. That's one thing I absolutely loved about my mentor, Jim. He regularly referred to Jesus as my King Jesus. And it said something about the posture of his heart. We can endure suffering because we know we will rise and reign with Jesus if we endure. And not just suffering because of the persecution from preaching the word, but suffering because of the world that we live in. We live in a fallen, broken world where there is death, there is sickness, there is pain, and there is depression. I mentioned before that, that uh, Jim has been battling cancer for years now. If any of us have to go through what he has gone through, I pray that we can endure suffering with the passion for Christ that he had. Jim once said, I count it a privilege to be chosen by God to bring the gospel to the doctors and hospital staff who have treated my cancer. What a perspective. And he meant it with his whole heart. He counted it a privilege. All Jim wanted was to bring the love of Christ everywhere he went, whether that was a closed country or whether that was a, a clinic where people were being traded for cancer. 
No matter what our suffering looks like, it's another opportunity to show the world the joy of Christ that's in our hearts. So people can look at us and be like, how are you like, just acting like that right now? It's because of the love of Christ. Finally, Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul is calling Timothy to a life that is dedicated to telling others about the gospel of Jesus. Here's a thought. Do you realize that there are people in your future that you haven't even met yet whose eternal destination is directly linked to you sharing the gospel with them? Think about that. There is a world out there with people dying every day not knowing Jesus as their Lord and it breaks God's heart. Does it break yours? I think it's interesting that next Paul points out how he fulfilled his ministry. Verse six and seven. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul describes the completion of his ministry as a drink offering. In the Jewish culture, one of the sacrifices that they had to regularly do was a drink offering where they would pour out wine in front of the altar. And what I think Paul is saying here is that he has poured out his whole life. He held nothing back. He poured it all out for the glory of Jesus. And notice that Paul says he's finished the race. When you run a race, you have the finish line in your mind and you run as fast as you can and endure any pain to get to that finish line. It's like the opposite of wandering. The sad reality is that in this life, there will be people that you know who don't finish this race, the race of following Jesus. Earlier in chapter one, we heard about Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then in chapter two, there was Hymenaeus and Philetus. And there was multiple other people mentioned by name in this book and other books that Paul wrote of people who followed with Paul. They walked with Paul. They co-labored with Paul, but they bagged their faith and left later on. We must not be surprised when people walk away. But the question that we need to have in our minds is, will I finish the race? Will I keep the faith? When people would ask Jim how to pray as he was battling cancer, he would often ask for prayer for the strength to honor God and finish well in the end. He desperately wanted to finish well. So how do we do that? Why should we devote our life to preaching the word? Let's look at the fourth and final point in your outline. An immeasurable reward. Look at verse eight. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. 
What this means is that God rewards those who preach the word. Notice that verse eight is kind of like a bookend to verse one. In verse one, Christ will judge us based off of our deeds. Paul points out that he will judge Timothy, how he, he lived, how he picked up this ministry being given to him. And then in verse eight, Christ, the judge, is giving the reward for finishing the race, for running the race. Now, there are different words in Greek for a crown. One of them obviously talks about a royal crown, like a king or a queen would wear. Another one refers to a crown given as a reward for a victory. Here, Paul is referring to a crown given to those of victory, those who have faithfully served God and longed for his return. I remember in high school getting the award on my high school soccer team for the most improved player, which basically means I didn't stink anymore at the end of the year. Why is it that 25 years later, I still remember getting that award? God has put inside of us a desire to be recognized, to be rewarded for our efforts. In verse eight, Paul says that God himself will reward us with the crown of righteousness. Nothing else compares to this. Nothing else is worthy of our lives than having the approval of our Heavenly Father and making His name great. Less than two weeks ago, I got a text from Jim's wife with two words He's gone. In my heart, the world lost a spiritual giant and I lost a spiritual father. Jim poured out the last bit of his life sharing the gospel with as many people as he could, even ministering to the doctors and the patients in cancer treatment centers. Jim finished his race and he ran across the finish line into the arms of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll never forget something Jim said a few years ago. He said, one of these days, you'll hear that I died. Don't believe it. I'm more alive in that moment than I have ever been before. Ladies and gentlemen, that is why we strive to finish the race. That's why we pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. To have our savior look into our eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant.
as we think about how this passage both encourages us and equips us for gospel ministry. Paul makes the answer quite simple. We are encouraged to gospel ministry because the eternal reward that's waiting for us. That God is waiting to give to us himself. And we are also encouraged to gospel ministry because there are people out there that don't know Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, our words to them might bring them to a saving relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this passage helps us to be equipped for gospel ministry because it points us to the source of our message. The word of God. Not only that, but we see steps to take. Be ready. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So here's your application. Number one, preach the word. Do you feel like that you won't have the words to influence people? Preach the word. Do you feel like you need more training before you can answer people's questions? Open the word and point them to what it says. Read the word, memorize the word, listen to the word, study the word yourself and with others. And as we point people to the word of God, don't soften it. Don't scratch their itching ears. Rising seniors, the ministry is now in your hands. How will you take the word of God to your campus next year? Will you boldly step up and lead a Bible study? Will you push past that awkward feeling and interact with your classmates and share the gospel of Jesus with them? Because that might be the only opportunity they ever get to hear the word of God. Alumni, how will you take the training that you have gone through these past years and use it to further God's kingdom? Look for a church to get plugged into and don't just sit back and do nothing. Talk to the pastor. Get plugged into a Bible study. Start leading a Bible study. And everyone else, how will you use this summer to prepare for the fall? I encourage you, voraciously read through this word. Saturate yourself with the word of God so you can be ready to proclaim it to people when you get back. Next, endure suffering. I want you to endure suffering. Paul has made it abundantly clear in this letter that the ministry of preaching the word goes hand in hand with suffering. Don't give up. Don't compromise. Endure. People will ridicule you. Endure. 
People will have doubts. You will have doubts. Endure. How do you endure? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, waiting to give you the crown of righteousness. Remember that. And lastly, focus on your eternal reward. For those who run their race and preach the word and keep the faith, God is waiting to give you the crown of righteousness. Nothing on this earth will ever satisfy you. Nothing. I'll never forget uh, God leading me to this passage in Psalms. You can see it on page 24. When I was a senior getting ready to graduate, God put this across my path and it shook me. It says, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. Stop right there. We are just like the grass. We are just like the flowers. We have a set lifetime and then when we are gone, our place remembers us no more. Our bank accounts, our cars, our stuff, none of it. We cannot take any of that with us after we die. The only thing that we will see in heaven afterwards, if we have a relationship with Jesus, is the people that we have touched with the gospel of Christ. If they come to a saving faith, we will see them again. For me, that pushed me over and realized that's what I wanted to devote my life to. Nothing else was worth my time. In closing, my mentor Jim once said that for those who don't follow Christ, life is a nonstop march toward an inevitable death. Kind of miserable, I know, but it's true. It's not a fun thought. Collectively, throughout the world, people spend trillions of dollars to find ways to avoid the reality of aging and death. But for followers of Jesus, that's not our end. Our life is not a march toward an inevitable death. It is a march toward an inevitable resurrection. Jesus taught that in order for true life to happen, we have to die. Following Christ is a repetitive series of choosing to die to ourselves every single day so that Jesus can live through us to bring the saving message of the gospel of Christ. Every day. In Mark chapter eight, Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In Romans chapter 10, Paul said that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are here today and you do not know the Lord, I would challenge you, just pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Start reading this book. See if it has the words of eternal life for you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And for those of us that know him, we have a crown of righteousness waiting for us if we persevere. Let us preach the word and run the race set before us with perseverance. Looking forward to the day when Jesus will look us 
in the eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Nothing else is worth living for. Nothing else. I'm gonna give you guys a moment of silence to think about these things and give the spirit a chance to work in your heart and then I'll close this in prayer in a few moments. God and Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you loved us so much that you did not leave us in our sin. I thank you so much that you, just, you didn't just abandon us. God, you showed your, your own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are not worthy of such a love as that. God, I pray that we can devote our hearts to serving you. God, I pray that you will burn into our hearts and our minds the thought of looking you in the face as you give us the crown of righteousness and we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You fought the fight, you ran the race, and you finished well. Let it be so in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.